0: Welcome to the Columbia Church Sermon Podcast. We're so excited to share this weekend's message with you from Dr. Jim Boccom, our senior pastor. We hope it encourages you, inspires you, and helps you grow in your faith as a whole life disciple. Enjoy the message.
1: Now, see Columbia, aren't you glad you came today? Come on now. It's great to be here. It's um, that bluegrass band, seeing that bunch of orchestra and rock and roll people up here doing that kind of music just does something to my soul because I was raised in the mountains of southwest Virginia, one of the places that God does some of his, uh, his work. And so that music is music that I grew up hearing. It's like somewhere deep in my gut. It's not my favorite kind of music, but when I hear it, something is evoked Something uh, comes forward, and I thank you guys for offering it. And Guy Land, thank you, and let's all thank Guy for offering that prayer. He is uh, he's the first person I thought of to offer that prayer moment. There are two folks who came to my mind because of the way they think about the integration of faith and work. And uh, Guy, when I preached that sermon series on the work of our hands, you actually took me seriously. Guy emailed me recently and said, I actually do every morning, put my hands out as I... I invited all of you to do and pray, uh, establish the work of my hands, Lord, establish the work of my hands. He prays that every morning. If you'll do that, it will make a difference in the way that you work. If you think about your work as the work that God is doing through you, and that's what I want to think about today, because when we talk about good works, I think we tend to think about the few things that we do on the side, you know, like, like working with students, here at Columbia, or working with children, or feeding people at the food pantry, or, or volunteering somewhere else in the community, we don't think about where we spend most of our time, which is in the office, in the workplace, in the government building, uh, out in the construction uh, work, in the farm field, wherever you happen to work, we don't think about that. We divorce that from this notion of, of good work, and that is simply not the theology that we're being taught in Scripture. So let's Let's back up the bus and think about that in a moment in the context of one verse of Scripture that captured me, that I've preached on, this will be the second time, that Chris preached on last week, and in the context of our discipleship model, which I hope you're beginning to digest and learn, though we've had it for a long time. I think people are just beginning in many ways to glom onto it because culture change takes a long time. For us to really adopt something and assimilate something takes a long time. Well, I've been out this week, and uh, that wasn't initially the plan, long story. But as it were, I was supposed to be gone for a couple of days and wound up being gone for more. And it was a blessing because I was able to spend a few days with Debbie's family uh, down at Polly's Island, South Carolina, at the beach. It's a beautiful place. I did happen to be there for the big tropical storm, which came right across us. But it was nothing compared to some others that I've weathered, particularly in Sunset Beach, North Carolina, and yet it washed a full day out. So you know what happens? You get this this amazing display of power, which is an incredible thing, really. I mean, we think of it as a catastrophe, and it is a catastrophe now because we, for some reason in this generation have chosen to begin building all of our houses right on the shoreline, which previous generations would have told us is the dumbest thing you can ever do. There was a day I wish I would have been around then and wish I'd known. You could have bought beachfront property a hundred years for a song. No one wanted to build on the beach. And there's a reason for that, and the reason is called hurricanes. They come. They're, they're normal. I mean, they are part of the way the earth balances itself. Read about it. The way the homeostasis of the earth is balanced, the warmth of the ocean is dissipated. It's the way the world is designed to work. It's we who have made something like that a catastrophe by our works, by the way we have chosen to use the earth. And that's almost always the case. That God planned the earth in a particular way, we seldom pay attention to it or think about it, and at the end of the day, we're usually to blame for much of the way that the normal function of the earth affects us. But nonetheless, to be through a storm like that's an amazing thing. And if you have been before, the day after is incredible. Because what happens is after all the clearing of the storm happens, you will see one of the bluest skies you will ever see. The other side of the storm will pull in that cool air, that that, uh, humidity is pushed out from the north, and it is absolutely splendid. So we had that day too, and that's a good thing. Because when the storm came through, it was a rather unfortunate time for a storm to strike. Because if you are from the coast, and I was born in in Emerald Isle, North Carolina, on the coast. If you are from the coast, if you know people from the coast, if you know the ocean, then you understand there's such a thing as a king tide. Now, who knows what a king tide is? Just out of curiosity. A king tide is a tide that comes. That was very few people for Columbia. That's amazing. Usually I ask a question and people go, oh, yeah, I knew that. You, know, you tell me anyway, but I already know. Okay, so a king tide, as they'll say, or where I come from or where I was born, they'll say a king tide. A king tide is when the earth is the closest to the moon's position or the moon is the closest to the earth's position. And so even if there is no storm, you can expect an exceptionally high tide and some flooding in some places on that particular day. Now, fishermen love a king tide. Nothing brings in the fish like a king tide. In some parts of our country and the earth, surfers love a king tide. But a king tide can be a problem. And if a storm comes in right on top of a king tide, then what would already be a high water mark, in some cases, becomes an even higher water mark. And the reason for the king tide in this case is what we call the blue moon. Or in this case, the super moon, which will not happen again for 37 years. That's rather remarkable. But the closest position the moon will be to the earth. And so I wonder how many of you saw, by the way, it's called blue not because it's blue. I heard people say, it doesn't look blue to me. It's called blue because it's the second one in a given month, which is rare. And so that blue moon, if you saw it standing alone, if you happen to see that this week, raise your hand and tell me, yes, Dr. J, I saw the blue moon. And if you didn't see it, now raise your hand and say, and I'm feeling kind of bad, I didn't see it. I I didn't go look at it, I didn't know, pardon me, but my life was busy and I had no idea that any kind of wonderful astronomical event was occurring. Also, Saturn, incredibly visible this time around. A really remarkable thing to see. Now, the storm came in in the actual full night of, of that moon. The king tide happened during the storm. The closest position of the earth was on that night. And so I could look into the sky and I could see absolutely nothing but clouds and rain and I could feel a lot of wind. But the next night, to our perception, you had two more nights. You had the next night and the night after, Thursday night and Friday night, to go out and see it appearful. So what we did is on that particular Friday night, when we are actually Thursday night when we were celebrating Debbie's parents 60th anniversary, which is what pulled us down there to begin with. We got in early enough to walk out right onto the beach at 726. We got there at about 7:15, 7:20, 7:27 I think was moonrise and to watch the thing rise, which was absolutely stunning, amazing. Not like the eclipse we saw a few years. I won't put it in that category. But this was absolutely phenomenal. So this is what I began to see as I looked out at the water. It looked like the sun rising. It was so remarkable. And just at a particular moment, you could see the corona of the moon come up just over the surf. And then you could begin to see the moon. And this is just maybe a minute or two after the moon began to rise. And then finally, this is, this is what we saw. How incredible. How beautiful is that. Now listen, I've seen many works of art in my life that stunned me. I've seen a movie or two that blew me away. I've heard works of art in the form of music that absolutely moved me. I've seen plays on Broadway and elsewhere that brought me to tears. I've heard people sing and play music in ways that calmed my soul or excited me and rejuvenated me. I have seen art of all sorts, and so have you, but nothing compares to the beauty of a thing like this. We stand in awe, and awe is something that actually can be measured. It's something that can be quantified, and if you'll read about it, and I'll share this with you another time, it's something that a number of scientists and authors are beginning to write about. What does it mean that human beings are designed to experience awe? And wonder, why is it that we react in a particular way to a particular thing? And the answer is because we possess within our souls the same beauty that we behold. We're looking at the same beauty that is within us, and that is because God is beauty. We can't say God is beautiful, though surely he is. We can say that God is the very standard, the definition of beauty. Again, when you read in Scripture words like glory or favor, they also can be translated and often are by the word beauty. God is stunningly Beautiful because God is the definition of beauty. And anything created in the image of God or anything that comes from God's hand is by nature and cannot help but be absolutely beautiful. You know, there's some interesting work being done about the moon these days. It's kind of a fascinating week relative to the moon. I mean, another democracy in our world this past week landed a craft without people in it, but a craft on the dark side of the moon, as we call it, for the first time ever. And then just a few, by the way, why do you think that they chose this time? Give it some thought. And then this week we see This magnificent presentation of a moon that looks larger than it normally is. But in 2022, a group of scientists confirmed a theory. At least it's the way they see it. And I'm going to tell you, you can see it a couple of ways. But... I tend to think that when science discovers something like this, I just stand in awe and wonder. And what they said is that there was a time when some something struck the earth, and that something that struck the earth was about the size of Mars. You can read all about this if you'd like to. And when that something happened, it was a cataclysmic event that that formed and shaped the earth as we know it today. Now, this this is not something that created some sort of extinction. This is bigger than that. And that when that happened, what became our moon was lopped off of the earth. And that now what spins around us is a piece of us, a piece of the earth. So that when we behold the moon, what we're looking at is a reflection of ourselves even as it is a reflection of the sun, which is rather remarkable if you think about it. Now, I was with someone recently, and we're talking about this, and that person said, oh, my goodness, scientists, why can't they just be satisfied to say God created it? And I said, well, God gets to create it however God wants to create it. Amen? Amen. And to me, the picture that God flings something into the earth in order to change the whole thing is rather remarkable and amazing and for us to set up some sort of an artificial war between science and faith is preposterous and ridiculous because what scientists are doing is looking at the beauty of God's created order and all they can do is look at it. All they can do is observe it. All they can do is quantify it. They can't see anything outside of it, above it, beyond it. They're incapable of in any way, shape, or form proving or disproving the existence of God. But every time I see observations in Incredible observations that are made by remarkable scientists, many of whom are followers of Jesus Christ. Whenever I see that, I just stand in awe. Just go, God, the way you work is amazing. And believing that God works through natural phenomena as well as supernatural phenomena is really important. And the reason I say that is because if we don't understand that, then what happens is we divorce our everydays from our discipleship because we don't recognize that God is still doing that. He's still working through our working. He's still working through the inner workings of the earth. He's still working. He is still moving and working. It's not on autopilot. This is the hand of God and the beauty of God visible in the created order. Amen? This is beauty. And we stand stunned and awed by it if we see it for what it really is. A sight like this just, just stuns me. This is the work of God's hands. This is the work of God's hands. And we are the work of God's hands, the pinnacle of His creation. I know that you uh, love John 3.16, but I want to put it in a different context before I jump into our Scripture today, because I want to give you the verses that follow, which often we don't read. We'll see John 3.16 behind the goalposts of every football game. Praise Jesus, it's back, football. But whatever the case may be, we don't often read the rest. And Actually, the next verse to me is more beautiful, John 3.17, than John 3.16. I, I, it's not heretical, please. And this is the judgment. But this is not the judgment that is a bad thing for you and me because there is no judgment for us once we've been recreated in Christ. I taught you that not long ago. Judgment for us is a miracle. It's a magnificent thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's something we anticipate and look forward to. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light. Because their works were evil. Now I want you to keep in mind before I read the rest of this scripture, I want you to keep in mind that word works because the Greek word that is translated here, which I'll teach you in a moment, it's a con, but I'll teach you to it in a moment. When I get to that, I want you to remember this because it appears dozens of times in scripture. It's actually really common. And in fact, it translates in many cases because Jesus spoke Aramaic, not Greek. It translates the teaching of Jesus or or the speech of Jesus or what he said. So whatever he said in aramaic and we have some conjecture and guess is is translated to us and then translated again into english it is translated to us and taught to us with this word this greek word and it always has to be modified because it can mean a bunch of different things i'll come back to that again in a moment but remember this their works were evil two greek words one work modifying works For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his, hello, same word, say it with me, his what? His works have been carried out in God. Now, this is the key to thinking about quote-unquote good works, doing things for the common good, serving others in whatever we do, whether at home or in the workplace or at church, in our neighborhoods, in our leisure time, no matter what we do to think about our works, the works of our hands, not as our works, but as the works of God through us. We are working in God and God is working through us. Christ is actually functioning through us to accomplish what he wants to see happen in the world. And that is the miracle of being a follower of Jesus Christ because as I've told you before, God uses all sorts of people whether they want to be used or not. But you and I get the joy of knowing that God is using us. So the benefit comes to us as whole life disciples. We see, we're able to see because of the light We're able to see precisely what God is doing, if not always in prospect, often in retrospect, to look back and say, wow, what an amazing thing God was up to there, and I was a part of it. The way I've been saying that is that we are a line of the story that God is writing. We are a line of the poem that God is writing about eternity, about eternity. Everything that He desires, and whatever God desires is perfect by nature, and whatever God desires is beautiful by nature, because God is beauty. Whatever God decides is best, is by nature beautiful. Now, what we decided a couple of weeks ago, and many of you agreed with me, and thank you for the conversation a lot of you have had in some way, shape, or form, is that God is beauty. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them. And then God said, let us make mankind in our image, which is to say, we, I, are the Trinity, we are beautiful. We are beauty. Let us make human beings Beautiful. And in our likeness, which is a different Hebrew word, as I told you, the early church viewed this differently. The image could not be erased. It's in every human being, whether they are followers of Jesus Christ or not. The image of God is in everyone, whether their deeds are good or not. The image of God is in everyone, whether they are in prison, incarcerated, or wherever they might be, whether they are rich or poor. No matter their ethnicity or color, the image of God is born in the diversity of humanity, in all that there is. Though that image is sometimes smudged and smeared because we are by sin and shame fallen. Nonetheless, everyone bears the image of God. But as Origen said, as I taught you, the likeness of God is more about the character of God, the nature of God. And that is what Jesus came to restore Because that's what was lost. This likeness is what is being recovered through our whole life discipleship. Now remember, everything we do at Columbia is discipleship. Every single thing we do. The CDC, Columbia's daycare center, is discipleship. That's what it is. Worship is discipleship. Our service at the food pantry is discipleship. What we do in small groups is discipleship. When I preach and teach, that's discipleship. Every single thing we do is discipleship. And let me extend that and say, everything you do in your life, is whole life discipleship. It's the way that God is working through you in order to shape you into His character, His nature, His likeness, so that through Christ you might be recreated and you might be restored to the beauty of God as it is visible in the light. Now I'm going to go as far to say, again, because I don't think we can say this too much, my friends, you are beautiful. Truly. You are, you too, guys. You're beautiful. I may not say that to you if we're playing sports somewhere. If we're at a commanders game, I probably won't turn to you in front of everybody else and go, "You're beautiful." You know that. I'm not, but right here is your as your pastor today. I get to tell you, gents, you are beautiful. Ladies, you are beautiful. All of you are beautiful. And everyone you encounter every day is beautiful. Now let's become convinced of that. I asked you to do this a couple of weeks ago. It was half-hearted. You had a hard time with it. So I want you to turn to the person next to you, and I want you to say with your best beauty voice, do you know what I'm talking about? I want you to say, you are beautiful. (laughs) Oh, that creates such joy. (laughs) One, one woman turned to her husband and said, I haven't heard you say that in a long time. One man turned to his wife and said, you've never said that to me, ever. That's wonderful. Now, I want you to try this on for size. I want you to look at me. I want you to say, Dr. J, and point to yourself, I am beautiful. Would you please say that? Okay, now, you know what? I like that because two weeks ago, you weren't convinced, all right? And you've had to look at yourself in the mirror to the two weeks since, and now you are convinced that your essence, your whole being together, you're beautiful inside and out. You bear the image of God. And if we could just practice telling those around us, you're beautiful. I'm telling you that this identity that God has given to us, if it could be restored, it would change the world. Most people don't see themselves as beautiful, and the reflection of that is they don't see the world as beautiful. Most people don't see themselves as beautiful in Christ, and the reflection of that is that they see images of what they've become in the essence of their soul. They see them everywhere. Danger lurks around every corner. They live in fear. They live in shame. And they're looking all the time for the bad things in the world. But what if we could actually convict a guy in Appalachia where people grow up in such abject poverty so often and where generations have been affected by such things as broken families and alcoholism and black lung and all sorts of things that have happened. If we could convince everyone you work with that they're beautiful in Christ, tell me, my brother, that wouldn't change the entire culture. And that's true here too. You know, one thing about living in Washington, D.C. right now, I don't know if you find this hard. Uh, I do. A friend of mine noticed it when we were traveling about and talking to some other people. But, you know, when I say to people, they say, where are you from? And, of course, if you're from here, you don't say Falls Church or McLean or you don't say Arlington. You don't say that. You say D.C. And so if you tell somebody, well, I'm from, I'm from D.C., have you noticed the reaction we get these days? Oh, my God, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Or something like that you know that that must be that must be horrible they they say to me i mean they view it as some sort of cesspool because that's how we talk about it we talk not us but that's how people like to t- it's become popular to diss government it's become popular to disorder in the midst of chaos it's become po- look government's not perfect cuz human beings fallen are not perfect it's not going to be but no matter who's in charge somebody The whole job now seems to be to to diss and undermine the work that anybody else is trying to do instead of to work together to accomplish something positive. That's that's become the essence. So do you get this when you travel around? If you're new to this community, get prepared. Because I got your comeback, all right? Because, you know, I'm a little Seinfeldian in this way. Afterwards, I start thinking about all I could have said. Because I hear it so often now, they'll say, you know, I'll say, "Where are you from, D.C.?" And they go, "Oh, I'm sorry," and I'll say, "Yeah, not everybody can cut it." Yeah. You know, more 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 PhDs than anywhere else in the world. Not any, not everybody's smart enough to be there. So you stay down where you are, please. People from other parts of Virginia, they love to diss Northern Virginia, right? They'll tell me, they'll go, you guys, we wish we could just cut you off and put you with Maryland and D.C. and make you another state. And I go, please do. Sixty percent of your tax revenues come from us. If you do that, our roads will be better instead of yours. Amen? If you do that, (laughs) we'll get all the benefit. That's awesome. But anyway, never going to happen. Never going to happen. We live in a beautiful place, friends. This is a place of opportunity. This is a place of amazing initiative. What happens here affects the whole world on any given day. We live in the center at the moment. We live in the center of this world, and what you do ripples out. And I love pastoring Columbia. You know, I'll I'll give you this. If I pastored this church and we were sitting in Atlanta, Georgia, it would be a lot easier. I'll give you that. You couldn't put me there for anything on earth. I love living in a place where lost people are moving in all the time, and you and I get a chance in Jesus' name to find them. Amen. Love that, because what Columbia does affects the whole world. When people flow through here from all over the place, and I hear back from them, and they go, hey, I just went back to Zimbabwe, and I started a church. This happens all the time, and I've modeled it on Columbia. It's a church about whole life discipleship, and I'm using your model. I'll write back to them and go, that's awesome, because I'm not sure our people use our model. It's a lot we take for granted i want we live in a beautiful place we god has put us here for a reason we are here if you are sitting right here you are here for a reason god planned it in advance you're exactly where you're supposed to be and not everyone can cut it because this is a place of tremendous impact you couldn't be in a better place god blessed them and he said be fruitful and increase in number fill the earth and subdue it rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living thing on the ground make order out of chaos tend my garden now here's the verse that captured me as you know for we are god's handy work created in Christ Jesus to do good works which god prepared in advance for us to do and i was grabbed by this and this this word handiwork is what grabbed me first because the word is poema, which is to say, you are a poem. We together are a poem, and a poem is an artfully constructed, beautiful thing. We are the poem that God is writing in our day and time and in our place. We, Columbia, are one line in the story that God is writing, and that story, if you read the Bible at its most beautiful, is always poetic. And so God is writing poetry. He is writing beauty, and he is doing beauty in and through us. We're poems. We're part of the poetry of God's hands. And what I also noticed is how this integrated with our discipleship model. And friends, I want you to start to grab onto this because it is a thing of beauty that God, I'm telling you, gave me. I spent hours and weeks and months in prayer about this particular thing and God started to show me some things about the character of Christ in Scripture. And I started to realize that the first thing we've got to deal with, and you know how often I preach about this, is identity. How we see ourselves. Can we see ourselves as God sees us? I've dealt with identity in many terms, but most recently, in the quantity of our being beloved children of the Heavenly Father, and now saying that we are poetry, we are beauty if you can see yourself that way it will shape how you do what we do and we use several tasks contemplation and community and character and calling that's our pieces of discipleship or discipline the habits of our lives that shape the character of Christ within us and then i said we go on there and we have integration and this comes from a faith and work model from a professor i worked with at princeton this faith and work model talks about these same pieces which are ethics and evangelism and well these four pieces that Christ dealt with last week. So we integrate the identity of Christ, the beautiful identity that God has given us into the community around us. And then we have, and I want to deal with this today, influence. And that means God has placed you in the place he wants you to be. He has given you some form of influence. Now, many of you are going to say, Dr. J, I'm just going to tell you, I have no influence. If you think you have no influence, the problem is you have not understood your identity in Christ. It could be a small place in the world's view that's a big place in God's view. And it could be a big place in the world's view that's a small place in God's view, but wherever he places you, it is because he wants his identity, his beauty integrated or made beautiful in a particular place, a particular context with a particular group of people. I don't care what you're doing, whether you're shopping in a grocery store or you're doing the work that you do most of the week, where you are, no matter where you are, I dare say, even while you're asleep. God means for you to have impact, influence. He means for you to change a particular time and a place to make it more beautiful. So listen, we are God's handiwork, which is who we are. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which is what we do. And God prepared those things in advance for us to do, meaning there is a where, there is a context to what we do. Now, this is the Dr. J version. I put out of you up there, but this is the Dr. J version. We are God's beautiful art whose purpose in Christ is to procreate beauty for which God has written our stories. That's my translation of the Greek, and it's accurate. We're God's poetry, that he is singing to the world through us. Now, I did not write ignition group notes this week. There are three days a year that we do not write ignition group notes. And this is one of them. One or two of you are going to email me and say, Dr. J., this is awesome for those who meet on Sunday, but I'm just going to tell you my group meets midweek, so this is a problem for us. What are we supposed to do? Like, you can't do anything without you know i go well listen here's what i want you to do take this model and work your way around this triangle with the people in your group this week Take this model and work around this triangle with the people in your family this week, with your little children this week, and ask them, let's talk about who we are. You don't have to use my fancy words, okay? Just talk about, let's talk about who we are. Let's understand who we are in Christ. Okay, now, today, this week, this month, this year, put some time period around it and say, where are we right now? which is where our influence is, and how do we integrate this identity into the community around us? In other words, we are the beauty of God. What is God asking us to beautify? And now tell me, where has God put you of particular importance because he wants you to create beauty there? It could be a miserable place for you right now, to be honest. It could be a magnificent place for you. It is where God wants you to be. He's got you there for a reason. How does he want you to bring his beauty to the place where you are. You've got to answer this for every phase of your life and to pray that God will be doing this. So identity is who I am. Integration is what I do, and influence is wherever I am. This is what I do. Two weeks ago, we dealt with identity. Last week, Chris dealt with integration, and now we're gonna deal with with this last piece, God prepared in advance for us to do. But before we do, let me back up the bus and talk about good works in a second because this is Labor Day weekend, and I always have us focus on faith, work, and economics on this weekend. So good works is ergois agathois. Kind of a rings, doesn't it? It's kind of poetic, but not in English. Good works doesn't sound as good as ergois, ergois agathois. Say that with me. Ergois agathois. Ergois agathois. If you will look that up, because many of you do, this is D.C. I love this part of D.C. You're going to check me on this. The primary definition of the word ergois or ergon, which is the root, the primary definition of that is your employment. The work that you do most of your waking hours. Now, this is the work you do most of your waking hours, so let's get it over with. You have to work most of the time. Just go, uh. Oh oh, okay, you'll feel better. Try it. Tomorrow's a holiday for most people, not for all of you. Today's a holiday for most of you, not for me. But the next day, you're going to go back to work. Just say, okay, now that you've gotten that out of the way, let's look at it as the beauty that God intends to create, because your employment is a good thing. The opportunity to contribute to the common good and serve people even in tough places, to do what you do. That's a part of your calling, and it's a good thing. So let's try that again. On Tuesday morning at 5 a.m., your alarm clock's going to go off. You have to get up, and after a little exercise and an egg or two, you get to go to work. Go, "Yay!" yay! Woo! Can't wait. If you did the weekend right, including worship... When Tuesday comes, you wake up in the morning and go, establish the work of my hands, Lord. This is an opportunity. Today is another day. I get to make a difference. I get to go to a place of influence and I get to make a difference. I get to integrate the beauty of God into the place where I'm going. If you're caring for babies in the NICU, do it in Jesus' name. If you're sorting flowers, do it in Jesus' name. I can look around the room. I know what all of you do. If you're an attorney... Do it in Jesus' name. Whatever it is you do, if you can allow God to establish the work of your hands, you'll be amazed at the difference you'll make, at the beauty you can create. The secondary definition of Ergon is any product, something made by human hands. Bluegrass band, that last song, I have never heard before in my cotton-picking life. I, I I mean, I grew up in Radford. I've never heard that song. Did did you have to go looking for that one or did you know it? It's awesome. That's an awesome song for a faith work and economic Sunday. I'm like thinking I don't even need to preach now. That's the best. Someone made the sandals Jesus wore. Somebody made the bread Jesus broke. Somebody made the wine that Jesus Drank and passed. Someone made the cross on which Jesus hung. Someone hewed the grave in which Jesus lay and rose from. Someone made the clothes that Jesus and his disciples wore. Someone made the Bible you hold in your hands. Yes, it is God's word, but through people, and therefore it is a product of human effort and labor. Someone built the church we sit in. Someone has done everything because God uses people to procreate beauty, to make products. And you are a product of God, given the capacity to make beautiful products. So, good employment and good product, ergois, agathois, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good employment, to make good products, and God prepared these things in advance for us to do. Now, one of you, I had somebody in the congregation send me a long theological email. It was amazing. Absolutely amazing. And so Mike, I know you're sick today and you're not here, but if you're watching, thank you for that email. When I get engaged like that in a sermon, you have no idea what it does to my soul. Something happens to me because I'm like, God, this isn't just empty words. You're using this in some way, these things you're giving to me. So anyway, he engaged, and he said, look, the way I look at this is maybe a little different than what you're describing. He said, we're the ones that God is working on, and and, and so really when it says he's prepared in advance for us to do, we're the ones that he's preparing, and if he's preparing us, then the natural outflow of our life will be good works. And I said, I'm with you halfway, because I think you've bought a new nuance or a new piece to this, but I'm going to tell you that the Greek here is very specific, that the ergois agathois, that God has prepared in advance for us to do are specific things here. Now think about this. God has a specific set of things that he intends to do through you today and tomorrow and the next day and the next to beautify the world around you. Now, you can choose to modify Ergon in a different way because the Bible talks a lot about bad works in essence, about the works of our hands that are not pleasing to God. We get to choose how we modify that word Ergon, how we modify the work. Look at how Jesus talked about it. He said, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing his... What? work. You want to guess? Right, ergon, that's it. Doing his ergon. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the... Ergon themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the Ergon, do the good employment, do the good works that I have been doing, and they will do. It's amazing that Jesus said this. Listen to this. He said it, not me. Jesus said this, not me. If I made this up and it weren't in Scripture, you'd run me out of here on rail rails, a heretic. You will do greater things than these. The best is yet to come, Jesus said. What is going to happen through my church is going to be even greater than what I have done in my 33 years on this earth. How amazing is that? The best that God is doing, the greatest beauty that God is creating, he is doing through his church today, right now. They will do even greater things than these because I am out of here. I'm going to the Father, and I'm leaving some things to you. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, if we're in Jesus' name and we've been recreated by Him, the things we're going to ask for are going to be in accordance with His will. That's a tough one. We've got to sort that out. But if you ask anything in my name, anything worthy of me, I'm going to make that thing happen. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I'll do it. Who's doing the work in this Scripture? Who's doing the work? You can't, go to, you can't go to your IG this week if you can't answer this question. Who's doing the work? Jesus. Who's he doing it through? Say me. Us. Us. Together. God is creating beauty in and through us. Who we are determines what we do and where we do it. Now, I've summarized this to say your influences, your places of influence can be sorted into one of these four columns. Home, work, church, leisure. Does that cover all your time? Covers all mine. Home, work, church, leisure. And if you will think about these spheres of influence that God has given you, you will understand the places that God wants to create beauty in you. Now, to another Dr. J translation, but I promise you it's accurate. I promise you, according to the Greek, there's a lot of things I don't know, but I know Greek pretty well. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do ergois agathois, to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. Don't don't ask me why the NIV and other American translations don't render it this way. Because if you'll go look at it, you'll see this is the literal Greek. God prepared in advance for us to do. Sounds very like checkboxy. But God prepared beforehand that me wait walk in them sounds completely different. What am I doing every day? I am walking in the goodness and the beauty of God. I'm walking in the goodness and the beauty of God. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your path, your walk. He'll make it beautiful. He'll make it lovely, and He'll beautify the world through you. Now, this is pretty simple. This is pretty simple. This sermon series is is not that complicated. I just want you to learn to think of yourself as the beautiful poetry of God along with others. We are the poetry of God. We are the beauty of God. And I want you to think about integrating that beauty Wherever you go, whose life can you make more beautiful through what you do tomorrow? Just focus on one day at a time. Don't take 10 years. You don't need 100 years. You don't have it anyway. You need one minute, one second to make a difference in this world in Jesus' name. How do I integrate that beauty? And where has he put me, hard or easy, difficult or joyful? No matter where you are right now, your place in life, what you're doing, even a moment of despair and depression is something God can use. Do you understand that? God uses pain. God uses loss. He uses sorrow. He uses joy. He uses it all if we put it in His hands. And then our hands become the place He does His work. How can you create beauty? in the places that God has chosen you for. And think about this. Why has God chosen you to be where you are at this moment in time? And are you a whole life disciple in everything you do, wherever you go, honoring Jesus and asking for all things in his name? This is not very complicated, friends. We have infinite potential to beautify. We also have infinite potential to destroy. And unfortunately, sin and shame have removed the likeness of God But Jesus has restored it in us, and we can't let the ugliness of the world around us change the beauty of God within us. We can't become bitter or angry because then Satan wins. We can't start to think of ourselves as just countering ugliness because then Satan wins. We can't think of ourselves as those who negate what others do because then Satan wins. We can't allow ourselves to hate anyone because then Satan wins. We love our enemies, Jesus said, and pray for those who persecute us. We can't allow that that ugliness, to mar the image of Christ within us. We can't let it happen because there's too much potential for beauty in this room, in this congregation right now. And if we got serious about this, friends, we could change the world in a day. Problem is the church has never gotten that serious, in my opinion, about really creating ultimate beauty because we don't understand that we're beautiful. We just don't get it. You are, my friends, poetry in motion, poetry working, your poetry in motion. You want to see how one of my dear friends puts it? Take a look.
0: I am a poet. I am a creative force in the world. My words bring thoughts, ideas, desires, and fears to life. As pen hits paper, I set dreams free. Beauty is created and captured, revealed and released. I am a musician. My song holds meaning beyond words. I hold in my hands and feet a thousand different possibilities and outcomes. I am part of a symphony of life that flows across time. Melodies, counter-melodies, crescendos, and fades. I am a dancer. I weave in and out and through, joining, connecting, sometimes only for a moment, then flitting away. I am jostled, pushed, pulled. The dance is fast, then slow. Chaos, then calm. Amidst the flurry, I miss the interconnectedness, the undeniable magic of creation moving. I miss that I am part of a much bigger whole, that I take part every hour, every day, every second. I miss that how I use my creativity, my very life, is the poetry of my soul. Will I shy away from this? Will I deny my calling? Will I let God's artistry give way to the apathy of life? Will I let comfort kill me quietly? Will I give up my poetry, my instrument, my very soul to the lie that I am only one? Will I bow down to the idols of doubt, fear, convention, inertia, expectation? Or will I step out? Will I join in the dance? Will I let God shape my life into beauty and then relinquish it from my grasp? I am God's poet. I reflect His grace in the world. My words create light, a flame that is lit and spreads. As pen hits paper, my purpose is clear to tell the story of God's beauty revealed to us. I am God's musician. My song of praise is endless. My hands and feet choose justice. I hold close the impossible possibilities of God. I join in the symphony of hope and salvation that flows across time. Millions harmonizing, amplifying, proclaiming God's love. I am God's dancer. I move with purpose and strength, joining, connecting for all eternity with the dance of joy overflowing. I join with others to lift and be lifted. The spirit is always moving, hidden, then seen. Amidst his presence, I now see the miraculous connections of God's plan, the undeniable magic of creation moving. I am part of a much bigger whole. And as I take part every hour, every day, every second, I will use my creativity, my very life to create a poem of God's grace, goodness and beauty. That is the poetry of my soul.
1: Aka Fleming, come on. <laughs> She's beauty. She's poetry in motion, and you are too. Heavenly Father, teach us our true identity as reflective of your beauty. Therefore as beautiful. Show us your image anew within us and help us through our whole life discipleship and through the power of Jesus Christ and the movement of the Holy Spirit to work with you in restoring your likeness within us. Lord, once you've taught us who we are, help us to integrate your beauty into the world around us, especially the ugliest places that sometimes drag us down, pull us down, and overwhelm us. They do not overwhelm you. And you cannot be dragged down. And it is the work of your hands through our hands that creates beauty. Lord, help us by your power and the movement and power of the Holy Spirit to beautify the world wherever you place us. You've chosen to put us here right now. You have us exactly where you want us, to use us to beautify some corner of a world that has been somehow darkened by sin and shame, but is being restored in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Lord, if anybody hears my voice today that doesn't see your beauty in them and doesn't understand how Jesus changes us, makes us more radiant, more beautiful, Father, speak to them and call them to yourself. And if they pray that they would be forgiven in Jesus' name and that Christ would come through the Holy Spirit to live in them, that we could call them brothers and sisters in Christ, that they too could enter the waters of baptism and become a part of the beauty of what you're doing. Lord, we are grateful that we get to do this. We thank you that we get to wake up in the morning and create beauty, co-create with you. Father, restore your beauty in Jesus' name, through which we pray today. Amen. Columbia, together we are, all new, all in, and all out. So you go and ignite passion for Jesus Christ from Metro Washington to the world. Have a beautiful holiday. Have a beautiful week. While you're at it, have a beautiful life. I'll see you soon.
0: Hey, thanks again for listening. If you live in the metro D.C. area, we would love to worship with you at one of our weekend gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about all the incredible things happening at Columbia, go to columbiabaptist.org. That's columbiabaptist.org.